This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. Morning. This episode contains some swear words and a large variety of different teas. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, Maddie, hello. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, I'm here in Ashfield in Sydney, as I often am. It's where I live. Um, but I'm going to tell you about a local or historical icon. I'm ready. Yeah. I had never heard of Old Mate, but there's a bust of him in like a street near the train station. Mm-hmm. Um, this the gentleman. Ashfield train yeah, station. Yeah, Ashfield train station. His name's Mei Kwong Tart. Um, mm-hmm. Mei being a last name. He went by Kwong Tart, which is his given name. So this guy, Kwong Tart, he was born in China in 1850. Whoa. Um, yeah, a while ago. And his. Like his dad sold ornamental wares, it says, whatever that is. Apparently did all right with that. Um, I'm sure they were great. In 1859, Kwong Tart is nine years old um, mm-hmm. and he goes with his uncle to Australia to live. Um, they're going to the gold fields. I think they're, they're uh, taking yeah. a bunch of other men there and for some, I don't know why exactly, Kwong goes with his uncle, but he does, um, to Braidwood, which is in New South Wales, to the goldfields. Um, and that is where he then lives, as you do, age nine, new country. Um, and he's living with slash working for this Scottish storekeeper. And so he's learning, you know, he's learning English with That's an excellent... Wild accent like when I was nine I was in grade four Mm. I want to say and I like walked around with a blue bucket hat because I refused to take it off like that was my emotional tolerance level yeah whereas (laughs) this kid I won't brush my hair I don't want to so I'm wearing a hat Mm. months on a boat you live here now Learn this new language from this Scottish man. Your uncle is around, you know, but he's on the gold field, so you're not, 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 not living with him. Um, and from here he does develop like a lifelong love for like Scottish things in general right. and he does, he learns English with a Scottish accent. Yes. Um, yeah. And a better accent. excellent and apparently you know he's quite a popular kid and because there's photos of him obviously as like a a young man and then an older man and he's extremely good looking and like his kids are really cute so he would have been a really cute kid and then this lady Alice Simpson who's the wife of some local person with a lot of money you know takes a liking to this little Chinese boy with a Scottish accent and decides to adopt him Although he's not an orphan, but he is taken in by the Simpsons. Um, 
And yeah, so until by the time he's 18, he is wealthy because the Simpsons, you know, have encouraged him to like buy like gold claims and things. And he's fluent in English. He's described as a keen amateur cricketer with a love of puns. Uh-huh. Your um, brother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, he's really popular in, in Bells Creek in Braidwood because he's the captain of the cricket team. He's founded a football team. Um, Maybe he just got big on the Dolomites, you know, the, like if he was working since he was nine, the Commonwealth mm. Bank just signed him up. And he was yeah. big on the Dolomites by the time he was 18. Millionaire. Mm. Yeah. Well, because he also, had, had money, but also this is a charismatic child, like at a time of huge like racism yeah. <laughs> against Chinese people, he's really popular in in the town. And um, he, I think around this time, but also throughout his life like he does play the bagpipes he'll recite <laughs> yes, like Quang robert Tan. burns poetry some people called him Quang tartan because he wears oh. belts sometimes and that again punts loves it he would have been deep into that if he loved mm. the pun yeah. maybe he actually started it himself and like was like you know when you like you're a kid and you tell like another kid like oh yeah like my friend calls me Tartan, Quang Tartan, mm. and then they're like, oh, we'll start that. And then he's like, yeah, great. Like, yeah, maybe he actually, you know, mm. got that going. Yeah. Again, so this is all up like before he's 18. He's a, this charismatic local popular person, surprisingly. Um, and he becomes, he's the first Chinese person in Australia to join the Freemasons, which is amazing, you know. Um, so, yeah, so he's living on the gold fields. He's making a small fortune. He's still quite young. And so he goes back to China in 1881 for the first time to, like, to visit his family again after, like, what, 22 years? Whoa. Um, and, well, because they, they wanted him to come back to stay. They, you know, found a nice local girl. They wanted him to marry. Um, but he goes back and is just like, well, no, I, I want to keep living in Australia. But so he's gone back to look into like importing tea Mm -hmm. from China to Australia and so he's moving he moves to Sydney after that and starts to import tea so he starts his little tea shops and it's meant to be a place where people can like sample tea and buy it and it is huge it is so popular that he then opens up these tea rooms which because I think by then he's actually become like naturalized. He's a like a British citizen, mm-hmm. um, which again was unusual. But these these tea rooms, so it was like high society, like British energy, mm-hmm. but also with like you know ornate things from China, mm-hmm. and it is it's about like the tea. And, and snacks, but there are marble fountains, there's gold oh. carp, there's like ferneries. They I thought sound... you were going to say gold carpet and I was like, whoa. No, no, big fish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I got big that. In, I got there in the end, but mm. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> gold carpet. <laughs> I've never seen such things in Queensland. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it does remind me, though, that when we went to uh, Queensland Parliament, they were like, yes, there is gold 
on the wall like so there's you know there's paint that has gold mm. in it and if you do chip at it the metal detectors will go off when you leave <laughs> which is, of course is bullshit but we were all like don't chip the walls <laughs> anyway that's hilarious gold yeah cup. yeah so it's like the um the tea rooms were they were the place to be like they were the shit um i think the first one was yeah i'd go now yeah they sound amazing do um, they do bun less brunch they would if they if they were still around. Because mm-hmm. um, there was one on King Street, the building doesn't exist anymore, and the one in the Queen Victoria building, when that opened, that was the big enormous one, could seat like that 500 people. And there was another one on George Street. There was one in the Moore Park Zoo, um, which I'm going to have to do some more research about what the Moore Park Zoo yeah, I don't know was her. in its heyday. <laughs> Moore Park does not have a zoo that I'm aware of currently. Um, and like in Haymarket where like the theatres are. So there were, it was, it became a chain mm-hmm. and they were a big deal. And he was hugely popular with everyone because from like charming all, lad. Yeah. Well, from all reports, like, cause he would talk to people of all classes the same way. He was clearly super intelligent and like charming and good looking. And, you know, he was a novelty for white people as well because it's like oh he sounds scottish but he's chinese me, me, me. um but yeah. yeah he really i'm sure there were some layers of like weird kind of um exoticism yes sorry that was the word i was looking yeah. for and it was in the back of my brain mm. yeah. um but yeah by all all accounts he's this really cool dude um, and he was kind of like an unofficial, like, consul for for China, um, like, I guess before there was a consulate or anything. So yeah. he's got, like, a series of honours when, like, ambassadors come and he goes back to China and he gets – it's essentially like being made like an earl if you're British is what he is. Um, and – yeah, popular among his employees because he in the late 1800s he, he had sick pay and holiday pay and, like, that was unheard of for yeah, the time. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and, like, they'd get fed at work. Yeah, he was a big philanthropist, I'll find. I had some specific examples. Like, he would hold banquets and, like, charitable dinners for all kinds of different people, like all the newsboys, um, for some local Aboriginal people, there's something called the Waterloo Ragged School, which was, I, I it sounds like like in Oliver, like Charles Dickens, where the kids have nowhere to go. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Ragged School. He gave you know them a lot of money. He was promoting concerts and exhibiting art and negotiating between because in 1888 there was like a passenger ship from China that was put into quarantine. It was a thing, there's a lot of tension and then he was negotiating between the governments and he's he's just a person. Mm. He's not a politician. But, yeah, and he gave, he gave money all over the place. And the tea rooms, they were also – the site of like meetings of like early suffragettes. Yeah, right. Because so like 1880s 
or 1800s in general, if you're a woman in Sydney, so the wealth, wealthy women could talk to each other in their own homes, um, you know, people of their own class. If you were out anywhere, you had to be accompanied. Mm. If you're a working woman, there were only certain places that you could be out alone. Um, otherwise, you'd get arrested for being a sex worker, um, depending where you were. And so there were Happens places. to me all the time. <laughs> well, it would have at this time, just Popping for being into out. Coles. Yeah. <laughs> Checking would've. my mail. Um, so there uh. were places where women could meet. They couldn't go into the pubs. There were no public toilets for ladies. Yeah. This is a thing that comes up like much later in like the 20, like the 20s and stuff and we're talking about the CWA trying to get toilets for rural women. Ah, it's in Misrepresented Annabelle Crabbe's documentary on mm. the ABC. There weren't toilets for women in parliament until mm. like scarily recently. They had to leave, they had to drive home and mm-hmm. come back to exactly. do a wee. Mm. Terrifying. So the tea rooms had all those things. They became like a, you know, a safe, like private and public space it's public but it's also yeah. an element of privacy where you could talk to other women you can have a little chat yeah without being listened to dismantle the patriarchy yes literally mm-hmm. in your own home and it was I mean hugely popular with wealthy women but it wasn't just wealthy women who went there but they had bathrooms and there was like mm-hmm. a upstairs like reading rooms just for ladies and it's like you could have your tea there but you could also hold meetings like the literary society and, you know, oh. like if you're a tennis association, but also if you'd like to, Sorry. if you're Henry Sorry. Lawson's mum or whatever, you want to talk about suffrage. Yeah, I was just going to say like a space for only women to read who may also play tennis and are spilling tea. Mm-hmm. Sounds very uh, <laughs> sapphic to me. Mm-hmm. Why aren't these spaces still out there now? Mm. I'm just saying, I don't want to go to the beach. I'm too tired. Yeah, and I'm there too was old. there was smoking rooms where the men could go. It's if just there like, you was go a there. gay club, which was like you go and read a book, you're gonna have a cup of tea, and you might chat to someone. Mm. <laughs> that sounds that sounds great. Yeah, there was like <laughs> writing materials, like if you needed to write something down or send a letter, they were there free of charge. Oh. Oh. So it's also a place that you could go if you needed to send a letter that you couldn't send from home Free or like stationary. if you needed to, yeah, literally. So they sound so cool and they were hugely popular because that there was no other space in the city where women could be really mm. and be able to go to the loo and be able to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, God. live their own lives. It's a um, big ask. Yeah. And so he was just a big socialite as well, extremely popular. He also he campaigned against the importation of opium because um, that was a huge problem. So he'd be going out into the gold fields and like the Chinese camps where it's like because it was sold as a medicinal thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was a big deal and there was a long, long battle for him, um, which he, he did, he died before anything changed with opium trade. I think one day I'm going to do much more research into like the history of opium in Australia because mm. that'll derail completely. But, yeah, so when he's starting his tea rooms, probably before they've gotten huge, he meets a lady called Margaret Scarlett 
Right. Um, she's she's about nineteen. She's a school teacher. I think he's thirty four. It's like it's not a, not a big deal at the time. Mm. The age gap is not a problem for anybody. Um, she's English. They're in love. They want to get married. Um, her dad, like, is friends with Kwong Ta. Like, they're I think they're business associates as well. They got on well, but he's like, absolutely not. You can't get married. Not because of the age gap, but because he's Chinese. Mm. Um, so, like, even though they're friends, he's like, mm. no. Yeah, don't and, like it. And so they just they wait until she turns twenty one, and they get married. Anyway, yeah, um, that's pretty. That's pretty. That's a pretty big deal. It was a huge deal, absolutely enormous deal at the time, like unheard of. Yeah. Um, eventually, they did have six children, and when they started having grandkids, apparently they did reconcile with Margaret's parents. Okay. I think they decided they wanted to be in their life, which again, that's a big, big deal. Yeah. Um, and she apparently. Like from when they first met, she would like start collecting like newspaper articles and magazine clippings that he was in because he's in things a lot. And she did that throughout the rest of their lives together um, and then did publish like a biography of That's him. That's the kind of thing that is cute in old timey times. But if someone did that now, spooky. Mm. <laughs> like if if someone had a crush on me and then we went on like our first date or something and then they were like, here's my scrapbook. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> Too many red flags. But back in the day, Pre-internet, before you could stalk them on Instagram, mm. that's all you could get. It's a really lovely you know? record. The only way to keep tabs and figure out who this person is. Mm. <laughs> But, yeah, so they had this, like, pioneering relationship. And because Kwong Tart was Anglican, um, he'd converted to, to that at some point in his adult life. But they each of their six children were baptised in different denominations because um, he didn't Why? want to be to avoid any, like, accusations of prejudice, like different types of Christianity. Yeah, but. Well, because he was this huge guy in the community, enormous. Ah, oh, he, so wants, just he like, wants the Anglican he's money a, and he's the Anglican, Methodist money. But he doesn't want to, he can't, you know. Yeah, not he's gonna like, I'll do one of each and you can still come and drink tea. Mm. And uh-huh. so they lived in a mansion which was called Gallup House um, in Ashfield. The building is still there. It is called Uniting Kwong Tart because it is a nursing home now. It's like a uniting oh. care home. It's a lovely oh, building. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. His wife, Margaret, wrote um, in her biography of him that, like, Kwong Tart had won from all classes by his natural and genuine kindness, a character and name impossible to be bought for money. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, she was a huge, like, they just had a great relationship. It's from all reports. And there's, like, really. Any photo of them is, like, really great. Like, they look really happy and, like, they're really good looking. Their kids are so cute. And it's, like, good for you. Good work. Yeah, and just, like, so unusual. Are their descendants still around? That's a good question. Yes, no, I'll tell you now because there's one. um, It's, like, a great-grandson. It's, like, I think it's Joshua or Josh Kwong Tart, who's he's an actor. He's in a bunch of things. He's on Home and Away for a lot, long time. He's in... um, Rosehaven, which I keep bringing up, but you haven't seen Rosehaven. Oh. 
he was like he's done a bunch of like musical theater oh, yeah josh quang tart oh yes headland underbelly all saints he's done the rounds yeah in a way he's a consistently working actor good one yeah so he's got quite quite a large number of descendants oh i've seen him perform there you actually. go yeah in the lion king <laughs> Bumping shoulders. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll find a, like a photo for the Instagram. Um, yeah, apparently his because he had like four daughters and two sons, and the four daughters went to PLC, which is the Presbyterian Ladies College, fancy oh, yeah. school in Croydon. They were the first, yeah. the first ever Asian students accepted into the fancy school. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he's hugely popular personally. And his tea rooms are hugely popular for all wealthy women, but also um, more working class people do go as well. And it is it is European women um, that go there, and you know some other Chinese people who are in the city in the same way that Kuang is. If they're mm. like the there's a couple of examples of like daughters of people who are like drapers or tailors who are, um, you know, high society people as well. Yeah, he's a celebrity. And because the, the Chinese like equivalent of like I guess the nobleman thing, like the earldom, mm. so like being like a Mandarin it seems, there's like different orders. So mm-hmm. he had like traditional robes that he would sometimes wear or like when he'd rock up to parties he might be wearing that or whenever he'd appear or he'd be wearing a kilt. And he would have brought yes. his bagpipes and, you know, he'd sing. I keep picturing him undertaking these activities with a thick Scottish accent. Mm. And it seems like because obviously that's an accent I think later in life that he went in and out of, like he could yeah. turn it on a bit more. Um, but that is he learnt English from Scotsman. So. Yeah, it'd be hard to shake it off because it's, you know, mm. very different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like everyone at the time either knew him or knew of him. Mm-hmm. He's the Stefan mm. of Sydney. Yeah, he sounds like the most <laughs> <laughs> oh, ex- except like with like uh, maybe genuine class. Excuse me, that I'm needle. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's true. It's subtle. That and needle is the classiest thing about Australia. <laughs> and, I mean, the tears, they don't sound subtle, actually. Maybe there is more of an equivalency there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's doing all these benefits for charity. He was a great employer. Like, on the internet, there's, a, like, a nice note. I assume Margaret kept it, who knows, which is, like, from, you know, his like the manager of his his staff, like the general manager, and then it's like the kitchen manager and the manageress in charge of the female employees, mm-hmm. all just because he's obviously going on a trip to China and it's it's a rave. It's just being like, we love you, have a great time, blah, blah, blah. Thanks You're so much best, for being babes. cool. See you when you get back. It's like, okay, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah, so hugely popular, well-loved, had a wonderful relationship and family um and then in we are going to jump to his tragic death unfortunately oh it's tragic <laughs> yeah it sucks oh, no. so in 1902 actually not long after women were given the vote 
Quang Tart was 53 and he was in his office and he was brutally attacked by a man, yeah, with an iron bar. And it was like judged that it was a robbery gone wrong and he's described as a simple-minded thug who was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Um, You know, he got like a couple dollars and Quang Tart, he never fully recovered. Um, He did Mm. recover a bit and but he died at at home i'm pretty sure the following year of like pleurisy yeah. it was like lung disease yeah yeah and leaving obviously his wife and six children who ranged in age from 16 to a couple months old um and it was a huge blow to sydney like yeah. he was like such a fixture um and also some lots of people and also like his his there's letters from his friends that were translated. I think like they don't think it was just a simple robbery. People have different. That was my next question. There yeah. people have different theories. Like, cause was it like a political attack, or was it other like wealthy like Chinese businessmen who like coordinated it? That's like different theories from within. Because there was a bit of a divide. It seems in the Chinese community. About yeah, I also just wouldn't be surprised him. if it was. There's a, more of them. There's like the Western people is yeah. So and because it's like, um, the yellow peril is a yes. is a phrase. There was a lot of yeah. anti-Chinese sentiment, um, and that was something that he campaigned against a lot. Like he was involved. Like he was really political. He was this huge philanthropist. In a nutshell. People are racist, basically. Oh. <laughs> in a the end. Yeah. Uh, well, especially with like the the gold fields, that there was a lot more like Chinese immigration, and the the yellow peril is basically they're just talking about. It's just anti. It was a massive like media political campaign. Yeah. Where there was an idea that Australia would be overrun mm. by people from Asia, which is. Yes, yeah. so deeply racist, mm. um, and that's when we like get into like really the white Australia thing. policy and yeah. that sort of thing. So this is all in that time. Yeah, and so which is why when you said, "Oh, it was like a brainless thug, and it was just a robbery," mm. I was like, "Oh, that just feels like such a dog whistle." Yeah, and that's what most people think is that it was. Yeah. it it was not a robbery, yeah. um, and. Yeah, well, because he was hugely popular. He's really handsome. He's making all these spaces for women. Mm. He like he is. If you were a bit racist and a bit sexist, he's a, yeah, he's a big threat to you. You that you would consider that a threat. Yeah. Yeah. So he like about a year after the the attack, he does die, and you know, from like employees to friends to just like any kind of local people. It was the list of, you know, beneficiaries, I guess, of his wealth is enormous. Mm-hmm. Everyone, was, he touched a lot of lives. So there was like a procession down the road of like 200, 200 men accompanied his coffin to the train, which was then taken to like Rookwood Cemetery. That's kind of what would happen a lot with funerals, that they would go, they there's a special train and then there were thousands of people at the cemetery for his funeral. Mm. A hundred years later, in 2003, there was there was 12 months of different events commemorating yeah, cool. him apparently, which is cool. 
because the, the bust of him went up in 1998 and looked it up. But, yeah, I didn't really know. I then I heard of his name because, like, I, it's on things and there was the bust. Yeah. And one of my housemates had been talking to some mad artist at something who was like, oh, you live in Asheville, you know, Quang Tart, and then told him a, a completely different story that's not right. <laughs> and then we looked okay, it up. We're classic. like, oh, this is so interesting. Yeah, Actual yeah. truth is so interesting. Yeah, um, I didn't know anything about it. I mean, mm, I've been growing up in Queensland as well. Like, you know, yeah, not as it's one of those things that I think if you went to I primary school. I do know the school, bus you're talking about, though. I think mm, you've seen it. Yeah. yeah. The, I feel like if you went to primary school in Ashfield, you would definitely know. Yeah, I'd hope so. About him. Um, just from my research, like there are some resources for grades five and six from like the yes, State Library of correct. New South Wales. Excellent. Um, yeah. Will you be referencing those at the end of this? I time? will. I will. We'll get there in a moment. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there is a, actually quite a lot of information online. Uh, but he's such a fascinating character mm. and really ahead of his time. And, yeah, all the, the photos are really nice too. I'm Glad to have known that story now. What an impressive person. Mm. And like the a lot of the like the original tea rooms, like the buildings don't exist anymore, but like QVB is still there. I was um, gonna say, is it where the food court is? <laughs> no, nah, well it's because they were they were, I think, on the they were on the ground floor and then okay. I feel like it's changed a bit because they had a couple of levels because it was huge. The yeah. tea rooms were a big big thing because you know there's the reading room upstairs mm-hmm. where you could read your magazines that were provided mm-hmm. maybe you know be a bit queer yeah <laughs> in my mind a plot to get the vote uh, um, yeah 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 dismantle the patriarchy and it was like a business decision but also he just was really progressive in terms of women and his wife seems really cool she's like i will marry him anyway yeah yeah I wrote a biography about him and there you go. There you go. I would well, 100% go to a fancy tea room that had fish in it. Oh, yeah, especially goldfish. And there's like. And gold carpet, maybe. Mm, different, try some different teas. <laughs> Get some yeah. interesting food. It's like tea too, except not an assault on your senses. Yeah, oh, that hurts me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. One little fact that I, the women of the literary society first first met there. Uh, they were one of the first groups to meet at night as well, like women actually meeting at night. Mm-hmm. Their meeting started at eight pm. That's very late for a book club. You know, it was a really it was the first women's organisation to ever meet at night in Sydney, the Women's Literary Society. Um, they started with a small number of members, but by 1893, there are 120 financial members of the Literary Society. Hell yeah. Yeah. Big old book club. Uh-huh. Ladies only. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So very interesting, handsome man. Would have been great fun to be around from all reports. And these reports came from my sources, <laughs> which can be found for your further reading uh, at the State Library of New South Wales, the Museum of Chinese Australian History, the Sydney Morning Herald, South China Morning Post, and Off Campus, or Off Campus and Wikipedia. Next week, we are going to be looking at 
dinosaurs in Australia. There are mm. so many <gasps> hanging out, mm-hmm. like Australia and dinosaurs. It's a whole thing. I think I mentioned it in the last episode, which is why it's been in my mind. Um, mm. Recently went to the National Centre. Anyway, amazing stuff. Get ready. Cool. I'm ready. Um, well, I will be soon. Um, and if you don't care about dinosaurs, you suck. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Instagram at Australianorama. Um, we love hearing from you. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. We got a hilarious one, which is a good review but an absolute roast, and it really made me laugh. <laughs> Thank you so much to whoever um, has pointed out our apparently ghastly Queensland twang. Yeah. Um, the thing is, literally I do so have funny. a professional, like, we're, you have a professional performing voice. I have a professional speaking, teaching radio voice. Mm. But this isn't the space for it. Oh, but also there was nothing. Not at all. They were absolutely right. Oh, no, no. They, no they're this, correct. It was they're a correct. beautiful review. I'm just review, explaining, like, like, guys, we're not, we're not filtering mm. our natural <laughs> no. our natural energy. Because if you podcast. if you want to roast us while giving us a great review, then I'll we go are for it. All for it. So yeah. funny. Five stars, and then make fun of us. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, Thank you so much for nice, taking the time to write us an actual review. Nice review. It really it did make me laugh, and I took a photo yeah. of it and sent it to Maddie. Yeah. Thank you. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> She was just so blinky. Yeah. Are all her eyelids working again? Yeah, all four of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, are these separate, lower and upper? Because then I guess she Mm. has eight. Or like. Oh, Mm. that's terrifying. Two sets of eyelids, we'd say. And we don't know how many are in a set. I don't like it. No, it's not. Anyway, they have multiple lids. (laughs) Let's just talk about this on the podcast. For yeah, anyone that's listening, <laughs> we're debating as to whether cats have eight or four eyelids or two sets of eyelids because uh, my my cat had an eye, an allergic reaction and then couldn't open her inner eyelids. So she'd open her outer eyelids and then her inner ones were like, terrifyingly swollen and closed uh, she's okay now it's okay i have a very good fit but cockatoo sound end episode <laughs> <laughs>